The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 107 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and that my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or resort to my current employment. And I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So, we had a really big audience last week. It got the numbers uh, this morning. It was huge uh, for our tier one guests, Yasir Halid and Anurag Gurtu, the, the co-founders of the new startup Strike Ready, which is a very cool name. <laughs> I said last week, it's a really cool name for a, for a company. Um, look, they were talking about artificial intelligence and how AI might assist us in solving some of the most significant cybersecurity challenges that we have in the industry today. And conversely, we started talking about what's it going to do for the bad guys. And I'm always thinking about how the bad guys are going to use emerging technologies. You know, what kind of advantages are they going to take? Because they're always quicker to adoption. They don't have any red tape like we do. Um, you know, there's no audit and there's no regulators. Uh, you know, there's no sort of oversight. I mean, they could just take, take technology and run with it, right? And so our guests gave their opinion on how AI is going to assist organized crime groups and nation states in carrying out more sophisticated cybersecurity attacks. And then who's really gonna benefit from it more? You know, who's gonna benefit more from AI? The good guys or the bad guys? And lastly, the theme of the show really, and it's in the title of the episode, the pair also discussed the recent trend in some parts of the industry to declare defense in depth dead, right? So, and they talked about that and they talked about the challenges organizations face with alert overload and the overwhelming amount of information and data they intake from dozens, dozens of Intel feeds. I mean, it's really just not even dozens, right? It could be even hundreds at some point, depending on how big your organization is and where you're at. Um, but it was a great episode, folks. It obviously re resonated with our audience because we had a really big crowd last week. So if you're one of the few people who actually missed last week's episode, with the founders of Strike Ready, be sure to check it out. Go to your episode library or your favorite playback medium and take a listen to it when you get a chance. You won't be disappointed. That's Yasir Halid and Anurag Gertu on last week's episode. That's episode number 106 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, 
You might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is a most impressive list of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well. You can check out all the latest news and read about Task Force 7 Radio. You can write comments, interact with some other folks. It's a lot of fun. So we're on at least 12 different playback mediums now, and we made it easy for you to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you'll see the entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you should subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we have yet another wonderful guest for you this evening, folks. I'm really excited about this show. Former FBI agent and current CISO of Sixtera, Mr. Leo Taddeo, is going to be with us this evening. So I've known Leo for a really long time. He's responsible for oversight of Sixtera's global information security operations, compliance, product security, their investigations, and intelligence programs. He also provides deep domain insight into the techniques, tactics, and procedures used by cyber criminals to help Sixtera continue to develop disruptive solutions that enable customers to defend against advanced threats and breaches. So Mr. Taddeo is the former special agent in charge of the Special Operations Cyber Division of the FBI's New York field office. So how cool is that, folks? The former special agent in charge of the cyber division of one of the FBI's largest field offices in the country, who knows, maybe even be the largest, I'm not even sure is going to be right here on Task Force 7 Radio, and you get to listen to them for almost a whole hour. So it's, it's yeah, only here can you get access to these type of people. I mean, and, and it's amazing, and I think it's really done the, the, the show a great justice. We're very selective about who we have on the show, and it really shows uh, with our following, and, and I thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it, man. I, I thank you every week for listening to the show and, and telling other people about the show and and uh, just being such a, a loyal listening audience. Um, I can't thank you enough. So Leo, in his role at the FBI, he directed over 400 special agents and professional support personnel, and they were doing all kinds of stuff over there. They were talking cyber investigations, surveillance operations, information technology support. Obviously, they did a lot of crisis management. So he did a lot of that stuff, and that's why he carries over into his new job. And so he's also received a BS degree in applied physics, and served as a tank officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. So following his service in the, in the Marines, Mr. Taddeo earned a JD from St. John's University, and he's also a graduate of the CISO Executive Program at Carnegie Mellon University, and he holds numerous other cybersecurity certifications. So it's my pleasure to welcome this evening's guest, former FBI agent and current CISO of Sixtera, Mr. Leo Taddeo. Leo, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, good morning, George. Thanks for having me. Hey, so I want to tap into your extensive experience in the cybersecurity space. You've been doing this for quite some time. You've been around this industry for a while now, and you have your ear to the ground on some of these things. How has the cyber threat changed over the last few years in your view? Well, the trend is continuing. The, um, 
migration from a physical world to a digital world continues, uh, both for our economy, uh, our individual finances, and for our social lives. So the amount of valuable material that's available uh, in a digital format is increasing every day, and that trend has been um, on the uptick over the last few years. So uh, it's a more attractive target, a more lucrative target for the adversary. Uh, at the same time, we see some negative trends in the use of cyber tools by nation states, uh, both creating more advanced tools and using more advanced tools so that the uh, threats faced by uh, enterprises is increasing. And uh, lastly, it's become harder for the government to create a deterrent uh, for these actors, uh, both criminal and nation state. Um, the tools that are available uh, aren't as effective as, say, uh, the anti-crime and deterrence that are available in the physical world. So cyber is a particular challenge. It's more attractive to our adversaries and it's harder to defend against. So uh, unfortunately, uh, the trend in the last few years has been negative. Um, and uh, each enterprise is dealing with, with it uh, in their own way. But uh, we're all suffering as well as individuals because of lack of uh, privacy and um, potentially victims of uh, crime. Uh, from people who aren't even in the same uh, country. Is the fact that the attack service is getting just so much bigger, is, is that really a, becoming a major challenge or, or you think, uh, you know, enterprises are adopting appropriately? Well, the attack surface is increasing faster than we can develop defenses. So if you look at things like uh, IOT, however you define that, the Internet of Things, um, the fact is, uh, however you defined IOT, uh, more devices will be connected to the internet than ever before, and each of those devices is a potential vector for uh, network penetration or some type of data uh, breach. And so there's no doubt that we're seeing um, the number of IoT devices go from uh, several billion to tens of billion in just the next four or five years. You add to that 5G and the addition of other technologies and how people interact with uh, technology the attack surface is, is expanding exponentially while cyber defenses are really point solutions that are tackling one-off problems here and there. And so um, it's harder to defend something that's getting much bigger with tools that aren't uh, keeping right. pace. Right. So you got all these new emerging technologies out there and, and sophistication of the adversary and the speed at which they're able to move so quickly. I mean, it's just increasing all the time. Are businesses able to be as agile and as, as, as the adversary is, is it getting easier or harder for enterprises to manage these risks? So it's getting, I think it's getting harder for businesses to manage this risk. And the reason is, is uh, business or businesses need to turn to digit, need, they need to digitize their business models in order to be competitive. And that journey from doing business in the physical world to primarily uh, doing business in, in a more digital world is a technical challenge, uh, but it's also a security challenge. And companies aren't really uh, focused on integrating defenses into their business model. Uh, they're mostly concerned with efficiencies and maximizing market share and profits. They're not in tune with building security into those capabilities. And as a result, there's a very steep learning curve and uh, companies are having a difficult time managing that. Uh, if you imagine 
the um, airline industry of 50 years ago was mostly concerned with getting the most out of uh, each aircraft and, and safety, uh, not necessarily defending against terrorism. Well, they had to change their business model in order to create a safe environment for their customers. It's similar um, challenges for modern enterprises like banks and retailers to do the same thing for the cyber threats that they face. So, Leon, I know there's a lot of listeners out there right now that are wondering why the United States government can't just apply all the considerable resources that they have at their disposal to protect our businesses, to protect our consumers from these cyber threats, right? So why can't enterprises depend on the government to protect them? That's a great question. Um, that's because the government's power outside of U.S. borders is very limited. So most of the cyber actors that we are defending against are in countries that really don't cooperate well with the United States. So if you look at companies, uh, countries like East, Russia and China, North Korea and Iran, um, much of the threat is emanating from these uh, adversary countries. And they aren't doing a lot to help us. So the, the U.S. government's ability to influence, pick North Korea, for example. North Korea has shown that they are using uh, cyber tools not only to advance their diplomatic uh, uh, interests, but also to actually um, conduct schemes to steal money from companies. So how does the, how does the U.S. influence a nuclear power uh, to uh, stop stealing from us? Um, it's a really complicated challenge and um, we're just not fully developed in our own diplomatic and military and, and law enforcement tools to, to counter that kind of threat yet. Do you think that cyber criminals in the United States are sort of low-hanging fruit for the government at this point? I mean, since they can't go after, you know, so if you have a, if you have a group of criminals, right, you have, this is your, basically your, your target list of criminals, and a small fraction of those criminals are in the United States and they're actually reachable. Do, do law enforcement, does, does law enforcement actually go after them with the pensions because they can actually, you know, put their hands on them? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can see the deterrent effect of um, U.S. law enforcement within Western countries um, where you're seeing effective deterrence. So we're not reading about large scale cyber fraud committed from actors in the United States. We're not reading about large scale nation-state activity against our companies and our government from actors within the United States. So the deterrent factor works in the United States because um, cyber criminals and cyber spies are rational. They know that if they uh, conduct their uh, activity in, inside the U.S., they are more likely to be caught and more likely to wind up in a federal prison. And so uh, being rational actors, they don't do it here. They do it in countries that are shielding them. So what, in, your, in your view, what are the biggest cybersecurity threats out there that companies are facing? I mean, is it application attacks, is it infrastructure attacks, mobile attacks? What, what, what are you seeing? So on a broad scale, on a high level, the remote access attacks continue to be um, the main challenge. And that really means having the wrong person access uh, something of value and having them able to either steal it or alter it or deny you the ability to access it. And that kind of remote access attack comes through a number of vectors, some of them you've named, like application vulnerabilities and network vulnerabilities. But bottom line is companies are having a real challenge making sure that only the right people access the right asset. And that is the fundamental 
technical and process challenge that companies and, and governments were facing. So is this an identity and access management issue? Uh, I, think, I think that's a big part of it. I really think that uh, from a technical point of view, um, it's much more uh, feasible to conduct more robust identity and access management controls than it is, uh, for example, to try to lock down every asset with um, uh, in, in encryption or even uh, preventing uh, the type of um, uh, hmm. denial of service. Uh, this is really interesting, right? So if you look at the book of two domains, if you look at data protection versus identity access management, you definitely think IAM is, is the bigger challenge. I think IAM is definitely the most efficient way to prevent the, the, the types of data exfiltration that we've seen. Encryption is harder to actually do uh, from a technical point of view. And I, and I mean, in deploying encryption throughout the enterprise at all times and in ways that are meaningful, uh, I think that's harder to do than making sure the person is who they say they are and making sure they only touch and see the things they should. To me, that's the easier challenge and the more um, bang for the buck. The identity and access management challenge is easier to solve and gives us more security than, say, trying to deploy encryption everywhere. All right, folks, we got to transition to a commercial break. But hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family immediately. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, former FBI agent and the current CISO of Sixtera, Mr. Leo Taddeo. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
by delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics. X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the former FBI agent and current Chief Information Security Officer of Sixtera, Leo Taddeo. So, Leo, let's get into the tech a little bit on this segment. Let's, let's talk about technology. What are some of the technology challenges enterprises are facing today in your view? Well, so from a high level, uh, companies are uh, trying to gain efficiencies through technology. Let's just assume that, let's just all agree that you can become more efficient and interact with your customers better if you adopt more technology. and that process has created a number of challenges for the cybersecurity teams and for the IT teams within an enterprise. And the idea from a high level is how do you keep up with the business? So if the business feels that moving to the cloud, uh, however you define it, is the next logical step in their uh, technical uh, journey, then how do the cybersecurity folks within an enterprise secure that, uh, that, that migration? And that uh, can be broken down into a number of components. One is how do you secure the cloud environment? How do you secure the applications running on that environment? And how do you secure the data that's transferring between, say, your customers in that environment? And all of those sub-technical challenges, each and every one of them uh, is a challenge that um, 
requires an enterprise to think about uh, the larger architecture, the larger journey in terms of where they want to be in five years uh, from an investment point of view, from a technology uh, capitalization point of view. So for the enterprise, there's a technical challenge in how to meet the customer's needs and be more competitive. Uh, within that challenge are the cybersecurity teams, the CISOs and the business leaders working together to make sure that all of these steps uh, on the business journey are met with appropriate security measures. And so pick your poison, pick which technical challenge you want to focus on. They're each um, as important as the other, because if you don't get them all right, the adversary will take advantage of your mistakes. Um, and this is why um, there's such a demand for cyber talent. I know we're going to talk about that, but um, if you think about it from a high level, these challenges are, uh, are accretive. They, they don't um, go away once you solve them. There's some, there, they are things that need maintenance. Uh, and so I think it's a fascinating part of the business and a great challenge for security professionals. So I think a lot of folks out there try to manage the threat. And even in their minds, I think sometimes think they're going to defeat the threat through the implementation of layered technology or just sometimes one, one technology platform. Is there a technical silver bullet to defend against all these cyber threats? I mean, is there something that's really out there that if you can implement from a technology perspective, that's just going to carry the day for you? No, there, there obviously isn't. And if, uh, you, you know, the members of your audience who are in this business know that there's no single technical solution to security. And the reason is, is the environment we're trying to protect is not made up of uh, single and static environments. Uh, it's made up of an environment that is constantly changing. Um, it's made up of components that are constantly being refreshed or swapped out for more efficient and newer technologies. And as a result, cybersecurity is a reactive business for the most part. Uh, we are reacting not only to the adversary, we're reacting to the business. Uh, we're waiting for the business to decide what it wants to be in terms of uh, its technical platforms. And once those decisions are made, cybersecurity solutions can follow. What we need to do is really uh, close the gap between the business and technical decisions and the security decisions that go with them. So security needs to be built in to the uh, development of uh, information technology strategies. And so while there isn't a silver bullet from a technical point of view, there are some ways to make it easier for businesses to secure their environments. And the way to do that is to really integrate security in every business decision uh, because the adversary is certainly thinking about our businesses in ways that um, uh, are um, detrimental to the business. And we need to think about ways to secure them. How are we doing with that, by the way, implementing security into every single business decision? <laughs> I think it's getting better. Um, certainly, um, boards and CEOs are more aware of the problem. There's a lot of conversation about how boards can properly oversee and manage cyber risk. Uh, so it's gotten more attention with uh, some more um, nationally publicized breaches like the Equifax breach and Target and, of course, uh, Yahoo Verizon. Uh, these are uh, breaches that have had significant impact on share value, on revenue, and even on uh, the career paths of CEOs and board members. So it's, it's definitely a topic that's getting more attention, and rightly so. But uh, it's, it's not getting any easier from a financial point of view. Uh, the diversion of funds to security 
It means every dollar you're spending on cybersecurity is a dollar you're not spending on marketing or sales or in, in R&D. And so there's some drag on businesses and companies are not um, easily um, moved f- from one direction to the other. So it's going to take some time. It's, so it's the old adage, you can't turn around a battleship in uh, a short space. And so businesses that are focused on um, becoming more competitive are having to divert some of that effort to becoming more secure. And that's not an easy thing to do. So there's lots of talk out there in the industry about zero trust. And, you know, I hear this, this term being thrown around all the time. Can you explain to our audience what zero trust means? And, and if you think it is or it's not an effective approach to enterprise architecture security? So zero trust is, is uh, different things to different people. There are a number of uh, analysts out there, whether they're Forrester analysts or Gartner or, or other analysts that have defined it in certain ways. And there are some common principles uh, that um, can be agreed upon uh, in determining what, what zero trust is. And in fact, uh, NIST, which is the National Institute of Security Standards and, of Standards and Technology, NIST for the U.S. government, they've come out with some guidelines for having a common language around zero trust and having some agreement on what zero trust architectures actually look like. So it's starting to gel in my mind. Zero trust in the marketplace is starting to gel around some common concepts. And these are, are, uh, there are two basic ones. Uh, One is that um, trust or the um, exchange of information or connections should not be based on location, meaning IP addresses. Uh, So there is no real inside or outside anymore in a zero trust environment. In old architectures, there were perimeters guarded by firewalls. And if you were outside the perimeter, you were uh, challenged before you were allowed to enter. But once you entered, you could access anything that was within the perimeter. That's, that's the old perimeter defense. Zero trust means that there is no inside and outside. Every connection is challenged before it's allowed to um, be completed. And that's the second component of zero trust, and that is no uh, connection is allowed before the uh, authentication. So let me go over those two principles again. One is there's no difference between an inside or an outside. All All connections are challenged, no matter where they emanate from. And the second is each connection has to be authenticated before it's allowed to connect. So those are some guiding principles around zero trust. I think it's a a, a set of principles worth worth marching towards. And so uh, as companies think about how to defend their assets, uh, it, it is a better approach than the old um, castle and moat uh, standard. Is, uh, is zero trust more of an inconvenience for insiders in terms of accessing the applications they need to get access to in their job? That kind yeah, of thing? If, definitely. If properly deployed, yeah. Zero trust makes it harder for an insider because you, insiders take advantage of the fact that they're within the perimeter and they're intrinsically trusted by certain applications yeah. that may be running on a, a subnet or a VLAN. And zero trust requires them to have the same type of authentication as someone who's outside the perimeter. And I think that's healthy. You know, I'm finding that more and more people are actually complaining about the security protocols that they have to engage to do their job. You know, it's not getting better. It's not like you know, security is being incorporated into the culture and people understand it and they know that that's a sort of a way of doing business. I think it's kind of the opposite, really. I mean, people are just complaining all the time. I, 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 that's what I see. Do you see the same thing? Or I do. 
I think it's a really important component that most security professionals um, fail to put enough emphasis on, and it's not prioritized at the level that it should be, and that is the user experience when it comes to security. So having your user have a frictionless um, experience and, um, uh, and, and giving people the tools they need to do their jobs without being encumbered by security process or, or tools is very important to maintaining um, user buy-in. And every security professional knows that if you make it too hard for the user to use a security tool, they'll find some other way. And that other way usually exposes a vulnerability. So uh, the user experience needs to be better prioritized when it comes to security tools. The second thing is from a CISO point of view, from a leadership point of view, um, we have not had enough emphasis on security culture in U.S. enterprises. So if you look at countries like Israel, for example, um, cybersecurity in Israel is something that people take very seriously. And as a result, enterprises in Israel benefit from their employees taking part in the security process in a more active way. We need to change uh, the way people think about security in the United States. Unfortunately, that we're in a tougher neighborhood in the cyber world and our employees can't do business the way they've done in the past and they have to think about security more. So uh, let me just put a, a highlight on this point. Cybersecurity professionals have a great responsibility in creating security culture. Uh, there's a lot of efficiency in security if you can improve security culture within an organization. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And so I think this, this you know, changing the, Changing the culture in the organization seems to be the biggest challenge. And I think the, the, the chief information security officer of that organization has to have the soft skills, you know, those influential uh, skill, influence and persuasion, uh, negotiation skills to get everybody on, on the same page to get them to understand because it's really the human piece of this that we're talking about right now. But with all this going on, what's on the horizon for cybersecurity professionals? Where do you see the cyber market headed? Well, from a um, career point of view, uh, I, I see some growth in the in the next four, five, ten, perhaps even longer. But eventually, uh, security technology will catch up, and eventually, the demand for cybersecurity professionals will level off. Right now, there's a great shortage, um, but as we've seen in in every other aspect of technology, once um, the market understands a need, uh, it will start to supply automated solutions, and we will see this demand for cyber cybersecurity professionals um, level off. So it's going to be great uh, for the next four or five years, but I think some tools and technologies will make the need for uh, technically trained cybersecurity professionals uh, less acute than it is today. Really? So, so uh, how's the impact on the shortage of trained cybersecurity professionals affecting the market today then? I mean, so you're saying that, you know, this, this talent crisis that we're seeing right now is going to get actually better over the next five years? I do. I think, yeah. I think there's been an over-emphasis um, um, on the cybersecurity talent shortage. Um, it's, going, it's a short-term problem, like any other talent shortage. People will realize that there are good, high-paying jobs in this area. They'll train themselves up. They'll join the market. And eventually, um, the supply and demand will level out and we'll have enough talent to meet the requirements. But I also think that there are a lot of smart uh, entrepreneurs out there that are 
developing technologies that make cybersecurity talent less necessary, uh, meaning there are efficiencies in the cloud, there are efficiencies with um, AI, uh, and those types of tools will make the need for truly talented cybersecurity professionals less um, of a, of a um, business uh, imperative than it is today. We'll see great jobs, and I, I don't think that cybersecurity is ever going to go away. I just think the predictions of millions of jobs um, being going unfilled is is an overestimate. So what, let's talk about budget for a second, because budget well, obviously has a lot to do with personnel too, budgeting for personnel, budgeting for technology and infrastructure, but what should organizations be doing to prioritize their cybersecurity spending? Great question. So I really like the idea that cybersecurity is uh, primarily an IT governance uh, problem uh, with a component for security. And what I mean is if you're doing the basic IT governance uh, functions properly, your need for security goes down dramatically. So things like patch management, vulnerability management, configuration management, user access uh, auditing, and um, uh, and um, and um, clarification on who should be uh, accessing which systems. Those are really IT governance issues. And if done properly, you can avoid quite a number of cybersecurity vulnerabilities. So if you look at um, things like the Equifax breach, that of course that was a, a cybersecurity incident. But at the end of the day, if you look at the testimony of the CEO um, explaining what happened, it was really a failure on the part of the IT department to, to patch known vulnerabilities. Uh, so when you look at budgeting, uh, a smart enterprise is looking at, first of all, making sure that they're getting IT right, and that means governance. The second part of that is how do you spend your cybersecurity dollars? And of course, you do that on a risk-based approach. You look at what is most important to the business, and you patch what, and you fix what you can to make the best impact. Now, how does that, how do you do that? Well, you do that with a CISO that understands the business. So many of us think the best CISOs in the world, and I, I'll, I can talk about this for days, think the best CISOs in the world are the folks with the best technical capabilities, the keyboard CISOs. Those are great and necessary. But in many cases, the challenge for an enterprise isn't a technical challenge. You can have um, a consultant or a vendor or even someone smart on your team tell you what the technical solution is. The power of the CISO and the reason why it's such a challenge is how do you operationalize those technical solutions across a large enterprise where you have different stakeholders, you have different business imperatives, you have personalities, you have power nodes uh, from uh, the politics of an organization. A CISO is a senior executive who can not only determine the best technical solution, but actually operationalize it across a large and complex enterprise. And that's a skill set that is more than just a technical understanding of an environment. It has to do with understanding the business. It has to understand, it has to do with leadership and influence and being able to navigate complex organizations in complex business environments. So that was one of the most articulate explanations of the CISO role in our industry today. And I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't have said it better myself. I gotta tell you, this is one of the biggest problems in all these companies with these people who are choosing these CISOs to run these organizations. And this is why things are failing in my opinion. 
You know, I mean, look, like you said, we need we need the technology. Obviously, we need folks that are very technically inclined, and at, and we need them at senior levels. But there's so much more that goes into the role of a chief information security officer. The people component, especially in this generation with younger folks, they need leadership. They need leadership. They need you know people people leaders who know how to connect with them and to influence them, and and you know take them to the next level of maturity in their career and the next level of maturity in the cybersecurity model that they're running. And uh, it's just amazing to me that time and time again, even now, I don't think organizations get it. I don't see the move. I don't see the shift uh, to that type of leader that you just mentioned. I mean, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon either. Do you or do you see something different? No, I, I think it's getting a little better. I mean, CISO's, the CISO career path is uh, varied. There isn't a single career path that you need to take. Um, but I, I think like a lot of um, challenges, um, most people turn to technology to solve it. And boards are turning in, in disproportionate emphasis on the technical components of the cybersecurity challenge when it's really a, a business challenge. It's a process challenge. That's right. That's right. You know, I think about, you know, if it's very difficult to get all these skills into one person. So it's not like uh, an easy thing to do for uh, executive leadership teams to choose this, um, this leader for, for, you know, to lead an IS organization. But I kind of think about it, if you need to hire a deputy and hire a deputy. And if you do, I think the, the uh, CISO should be um, the business leader. Um, with the you know with the with the technical knowledge too, but the the deputy should be the techie, right? So the, the technologist, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And and then you can accomplish both in the same and have them work together. No, I think that's the model to follow. Similarly with IT, where you don't want the best technologist necessarily to be your CIO. You want someone who understands the market you're in, someone who understands the business you're in, and someone who can navigate change uh, from a um, corporate level, um, from a strategic level, rather than someone who knows how to configure a server. Uh, that's right. not necessarily. That's the, right. The, and the I think, you, I mean, I talked to, you know, I talked to some of these companies and they're like, yeah, we want someone that's really technical and they're going to pay them a lot of money. And I'm like, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to do that? You can get, if you want somebody to do, you configure the firewalls, like you just said, you can get somebody to do that. At a, at a fraction of the price that you're going to pay, right? right? It just—I uh, think it's all really convoluted, and I think there's a big sort of—I uh, don't know if it's, it's not a misunderstanding, but it's just a, a lack of knowledge of of the information security business and how sophisticated it is in an organization, no matter how big or small. So, Leo, we have to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, former FBI agent and current chief information security officer of Sixtera, Mr. Leo Tadio. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete 
free phishing analysis at bountymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, former FBI agent and current Chief Information Security Officer of Sixtera, Mr. Leo Taddeo. So, Leo, let's talk about everyone's favorite subject out there, and that's compliance, <laughs> right? right? Let's talk a little bit about the, 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 the checkbox headache. Um, how, how has the, the cyber regulatory landscape changed over the last few years? So enterprises are not only dealing with adversaries, um, like criminals and, and nation states, they're dealing with their own governments and governments in jurisdictions that they do business in. So taking from a, the high level, you have uh, regions like the uh, European Union uh, implementing GDPR, which impose enormous uh, technical and process challenges for companies to do business in that area. 
You have uh, state, you have U.S. government regulations like FTC and Securities and Exchange Commission regulations that govern cybersecurity that companies are grappling with, including uh, Sarbanes-Oxley for uh, public companies. And you have states in the United States, like uh, very aggressive states like New York State Department of Financial Services and the California uh, Privacy Act that are uh, mandating certain uh, security controls, certain privacy controls. So the cyber landscape is not only complicated from an adversary point of view, it's complicated from a regulatory and compliance view. And this is adding uh, a number of um, challenges to enterprises. But I think overall, um, it's something that needs to be dealt with. And it's something that enterprises are uh, getting better at. So do, do you think all these regulations are really improving security? I mean, is it making a difference out there? Well, I think it's, it's pretty clear in my mind, and I, and I have some experience in the area, that if it weren't for regulations, um, some, and some sectors wouldn't um, take steps at all to protect themselves because there's no business imperative to do it. So I'll um, give you a quick example. Um, if you take law firms, for example, they're not regulated. They're generally not public companies, they're uh, generally not handling consumer information that would um, require them to report breaches uh, you know, to the attorney generals of uh, the states that they operate in. So lawyers and law firms generally aren't obligated by regulation to report breaches. Uh, and as a result, uh, we never hear of any breaches from law firms. And that's probably not because they are perfect in their security practices. It's probably not because they're not getting breached. It's probably because they are getting breached and they're not feeling the legal uh, requirement to tell anyone or to make it public. And um, as a result, I don't think they're as secure as they could be. So the point is, is um, if it were not for uh, regulations, we probably would not be seeing the kind of um, robust uh, security measures being taken by companies. Now, that doesn't mean uh, meeting compliance requirements makes you secure. Those are two different topics. What I'm saying is that if it weren't for regulations, we would see certain sectors completely abandon efforts wow. to um, make themselves more secure because there's really not a lot of business upside. Right. right. So, you know, how is this driving the way some of the big companies and the way enterprises plan to deploy cybersecurity resources, you know, when they have, you know, these, they have compliance uh, requirements and they also look at things from a risk perspective. Um, and how's that all come together? Right. So most enterprises realize that the clear and present risk is from a regulator. Um, and as a result, the first um, effort is to meet compliance requirements. And that means checking boxes, usually making sure that you have all of the evidence necessary to pass an audit or to satisfy a regulator. And we all know in this business that that doesn't mean um, you're secure. Um, no, it doesn't. So enterprises that have a compliance first approach are protecting themselves from one type of threat, meaning regulatory fines, uh, potential legal action, uh, but not necessarily protecting themselves against the real adversary. So there's a, there's a definite need for an alignment between compliance and real security. We're not there yet. So do you think we're going to see regulatory harmonization across the industry anytime soon? I mean, we have all these state regulations and we have federal regulations and we have regulations in Europe and EMEA, you know, that apply to American companies. When, are, when is everybody going to get on the same page and sort of simplify this for companies? Because billions of dollars are being spent, sort of people running around chasing their tail, you know, trying to satisfy 
every regulator in the world with different requirements are asking the same question five different ways. That's true. And there are ways for companies to be more efficient at meeting all of those compliance requirements. I, I don't think we're going to see a harmonization, meaning an overall global compliance framework. We're going to see a, a more uh, parochial and uh, a mosaic of, of compliance frameworks that companies, global companies, have to comply with. But we're getting better at it. Uh, most enterprises uh, know that the security controls translate from one framework to another. And if you can produce evidence of a control for, say, GDPR, you're probably going to be able to produce it for the state of New York if you need to. And as a result, if you're smart, you can do your uh, preparation for audit um, one time, collecting the evidence once, and being able to produce it for many types of regulations. Um, and that's where efficiencies in process and understanding how the business operates uh, comes into play. And for CISOs who have a compliance function, uh, being able to plan your security controls around, uh, around audit requirements, around evidence production requirements, is key to lowering the costs and improving your security. And I think there's a lot of cost being spent on, on satisfying regulators from these different jurisdictions. And even if it's just in the United States, you know, now we have the California Consumer Privacy Act, and I think you're going to see other states try to up, you know, California and get their own privacy acts. And, and, and it's, you know, it's not really productive, and it sure, sure isn't uh, efficient. Um, and so I think if, if, even if the, if the federal government was able to step in and say, hey, look, we're going to sort of harmonize this, this instead of asking the companies to do it, okay, we're, we're going to have, you know, 10 different, uh, you know, regulatory requirements from 10 different states, and each company is, and I'm sure if you can satisfy one, you can satisfy the other, but then you're going to have to, you know, create maps. And it's, it's, you know, it's spreadsheet hell because you're going to have to put everything together and make sure that you can answer the questions and, you know, that for each uh, regulator uh, for the, the mitigating control that you have implemented. So it just seems to me like at some point someone from the federal government, you know, could step in and just save a lot of money in our economy in general in terms of cybersecurity and the way we, we satisfy these regulatory requirements. Anytime you think anyone's thinking about that in the federal level is... No, I don't see that happening. I, I, I don't see a big push towards, um, you know, this administration has talked about and in some cases reduced uh, regulatory requirements for certain sectors. I don't see that happening on the cybersecurity side. I, I see, um, like you said, uh, states getting involved and we still have, um, you know, just take, for example, reporting requirements. There are, I think at the last count, 47 different reporting standards, meaning when companies are obligated to report a breach, uh, companies have to harmonize 47 different rules. Uh, and, and it makes it really, really hard to understand if you're in compliance or not. Yeah, so it's very expensive. Yeah, very expensive, confusing, and difficult to accomplish. Leo, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the, on the show with us this evening. I really appreciate it. And I hope to have you back soon. I know you're a busy guy. and We've been trying to plan this for a while. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, George. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. All right, folks, before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. 
To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.